Hello, and welcome to the Biotech 2050 podcast. Biotech 2050 is a think tank chronicling the disruptions changing the biotech industry over the next several decades. Check out our website at biotech2050.com or on your favorite podcast listening platform. I'm Rahul Chaturvedi, co-founder of this podcast and today's host. I'm also the founder and CEO of Clora. Clora is solving the biotech industry's talent crisis by organizing and providing access to worldwide life sciences expertise. You can check us out at clora.com. I'm excited to welcome a repeat guest, Nabiha Saklayan, co-founder and CEO of Selino. Great to have you back on, Nabiha. Oh, I'm so excited to be here. Good to see you. Wonderful. So Nabiha, to, to kick us off and to set the stage for the rest of the conversation, if you could just provide us some background on you know, the arc of your career and how you got to where you are today. Happy to. Yes, my story, I grew up always wanting to be a physicist. So I was one of those kids that was obsessed with planets and stars and astronomy. And it started pretty young. I was six or seven and my mom's a teacher. So she fully supported all of those questions and that curiosity. So growing up, thought about science a lot, thought about space a lot. And then when I got to college, uh, you know, majored in physics, which was great. And then when I was going into grad school, it was an interesting time because physics being one of the older disciplines, we have started to run out of big picture topics to research that are practical. So it was, it was either gonna be string theory or particle physics, quantum, very interesting topics, but didn't feel they could have real world impact in my lifetime necessarily, mm-hmm. maybe quantum, some of it. So I got pulled into biophysics. I thought that was a really interesting merging of different disciplines and there was just enough computation, genomics available to us to start making sense of the complexity of biology, which is one of the last exciting frontiers. Um, And during my PhD, I invented new technologies to engineer cells, which was an amazing experience because I worked at the intersection of physics, biology, with amazing world experts who loved the technology I was building. They said, Nabiha, you should do a startup. So I was working with uh, George Church at the time, Derek Rossi. It was a phenomenal journey, taking that encouragement from them because they also are very entrepreneurial academics who happen to be very entrepreneurial and okay, I'll explore this for a year. And uh, never did I imagine that we'd be sitting here right now, Rahul, and having this conversation about entrepreneurship. I've been doing it for five years. The company has grown. It's really a journey of being a very passionate scientist who wants to solve real world problems in biology, in biomedicine. How do we do that? Um, So it's been a fantastic journey. Great. And Nabiha, I would love to learn a bit about, you know, your own entrepreneurial journey and coming from the background that you were coming from and for, you know, aspiring entrepreneurs that are listening. What was, what was that, what was that like for you both emotionally and also just from an execution perspective? It was extremely fun and engaging and so hard. I found the transition to be exhilarating, but also harder than my PhD. I already thought the PhD was so hard. But the way it played out was as soon as my collaborators were saying, start up, think about a startup, do a startup. And I said, I don't know what that means. So I'm going to go and find some really smart people in Boston to tell me more. And Boston is such an amazing hub of knowledge, entrepreneurship, of biotech. It was very easy to step outside my lab on Harvard campus and talk to biology professors, entrepreneurs in all the coffee shops, coming out to Kendall Square, going to Longwood campus. I was running around that first summer. I did hundreds of expert interviews just to learn if the technology was useful, learn more about biotech. 
And I loved it. And I think it was really fun to leave the lab after being in a dark laser lab. And I also did a lot of cleaner nanofat to be with people. And that's something I really enjoy. So that was my journey. And I, I definitely anchored on, I want to work with smart people. I want to build a team. Yeah, even though I'm an only child, I really believe in team sports. I love working with others. So I, I was on this mission to find some amazing people to work with as co-founders or advisors. And I pulled in one of my lab mates. I'd worked with her for four years. She's my co-founder today, Marina. And she was highly enthusiastic. I mean, she told me, we don't have anything to lose. Let's try it. And if it doesn't work, that's fine. We'll go off and do our other careers. Um, and then we were very fortunate to meet a multi-time founder, actually CEO, Matthias Wagner, who's built several technology companies in the Boston area. Yeah, the second coffee meeting, he said, you know, I know we just met, but I'd love to do this with you. Can we do the startup together? And I was like, oh my gosh, yes. And he started building our first prototypes in what I like to call his garage. And then around that same time, it was interesting because it was the early days, it was 2017. So there was this movement building of how do we train scientists to build companies and even translate some of their own inventions into ventures? And the engine had just been founded by MIT. So the engine is a venture capital fund. They provide infrastructure, but they're very dedicated to supporting scientists like myself in company building. So it was perfect timing. I met them. That's how, where we got our first check and I left academia and here we are. And, and uh, if I could ask, you to reflect for a minute on that, you know, that first meeting or second meeting of, you know, convincing people to come and work with you and, and build something with you. Curious if there were any learnings along the way, you know, or were you just successful from, from the onset and, and you just naturally had it? That's such a good question. I would say I, I was tremendously, and I still am to this day, so incredibly passionate about what we do. And for me, it's like, wow, there are big problems to be solved in regenerative medicine. We have a technology that could solve these big problems and make personalized cell therapies accessible to patients for the first time. That's never happened. That would be hugely impactful. So I get very excited. And the folks I was talking to, whether it was recruiting team members or advisors or building my network, network is so important, by the way, and you just have to connect with people who you, who inspire you. That's all I was doing, really. Um, and then the other piece that my co-founder reflects on sometimes is just I was very grounded in reality. I wasn't doing this to be an entrepreneur or be successful. I really was interested in solving a problem. And then the second question that emerged for me is, is there a business to be built around this? Because to me, the role of entrepreneurship is to build businesses. It's not to do science and create new knowledge. That's academia. So as soon as I clarified those two distinctions, that specific distinction between academia and industry or entrepreneurship particularly, those were the questions I was answering. So I think that naturally made people feel comfortable. I was doing this for the right reasons. Yeah. <laughs> uh, which made it made us made us made the connections very natural. And they were very eager to support. And I, I just have to say, it blows me away how many mentors I've had over the years. Mm. Dozens, maybe hundreds. I should mm. really count. But the people, the amazing humans of Boston who are very successful in their careers as biotech execs, venture capitalists, product developers, scientists, they are willing to really spend their time to 
share their learnings and experience with the next generation. It's so remarkable. So I'm eternally grateful, but that was a huge part of my learning process in the early days. Mm, that's a really important distinction to, to point out, right? The difference between academia and science projects versus, versus building a business. I'm glad you brought that up. All right. And so now, uh, before we get into the exciting work that you're pursuing, if you could just set the stage for us in terms of regenerative medicine, where that field is right now and opportunities and challenges in the space as you see them. It's a very exciting time. It's one of those moments in time where we are seeing a big movement happening in medicine. Doctors, clinicians, therapeutics developers are changing the ways in which we think about how do we deal with diseases. Historically, the predominant way to deal with a disease has been to treat symptoms, address the signs of the disease and manage the disease more than anything. And with regenerative medicine, there's possibilities to change the course of the disease entirely and maybe even cure. Let's just put an asterisk because that's a very tall bar, Uh, but that's exciting. So the space I'm so excited about, even though now I've been in it for almost six years, (laughs) I'm still excited, is the idea of taking a disease where patients may have lost their functional cells. This could be vision loss, this could be skin diseases, this could be Parkinson's disease. So they some of their cells are malfunctioning or they've just been lost. And then giving patients a set of new cells to replace those lost cells. And you can completely change the outcome of the disease or you could possibly even cure. And just a an adjacent example is there's been a massive explosion of success and you know, early products in the CAR-T space, which are cancer therapies. And now there are patients living cancer-free, and that wouldn't have been possible before these therapies were approved. So I'm highly optimistic. I'm very excited because what I see being a part of the industry is there's just so many clinical trials launching every year, and there's a lot of momentum. And some of these trials are going to succeed. We will have commercial products. And then it changes the way we live. It changes the way we think about degenerative diseases. It changes the way we think about reproduction. It changes the way we think about longevity. So the next 20 years are incredibly exciting for healthcare. Yeah, I I certainly agree. I'm curious, given your background and the rise of founder-led biotechs, and in one sense, we're in this golden age of scientific innovation. Has there been anything that surprised you that is paradoxical about biotech in that, you know, things seem slower or perhaps we do things a bit backwards? Anything that comes to mind from your vantage point? I'll reflect on the conversation I had one of, with one of my scientists today, because we yeah. could answer this question in so many ways, but we were reflecting on how mRNA completely changed our response to COVID. It was the fastest vaccine ever developed, new technology, the largest experiment we've ever run with so many patients all over the world with this brand new technology in our bodies. We were all very comfortable with it. And it's been amazing, life-changing because we can start to lean more and more into living normal lives worldwide. But when you think about the history of mRNA, it's been around, I mean, it's just there. (laughs) It's the biological component of who we are, keeps us alive. But it's been a huge topic in academia for a very long time. And I think it's really interesting how how do we as an industry pick and choose which science topics we should really focus on commercializing 
it's not that it's a paradox, but it's really interesting to me that COVID really set the mRNA-based companies on this kind of unexpected, incredible trajectory when you look at BioNTech and Moderna and all the other companies working in this space. And they were onto something. That's why they were, they knew that this was going to be really powerful, but the most world-changing application happened in this moment of crisis. And mm -hmm. how, how could we simulate that? Is there a better way to predict that? I don't have answers, but I thought that was a really interesting conversation I had with one of my scientists around mRNA and then, you know, being in the heart of Kendall Square, like so close to where so much of the science happens. And then you know, Moderna's across the street. It's, it's pretty mind blowing to see yeah. all of those points converge and then have such an accelerated path to a vaccine product. Yeah. Yeah, that certainly certainly resonates. <laughs> We're living in uh, very exciting times in biotech right now. So as we think about regenerative medicine, what was the opportunity that you saw as you thought about pursuing Salino? And, and let's talk about you know the, the exciting science that you all are pursuing now. Yes, I mean, it really ties to my mission has always been as a physicist, how do we build better tools and technologies to support this incredible industry? And I find the regenerative medicine industry so inspiring and powerful and impactful. And one big challenge there has been on the issue of manufacturing. How do you generate high quality cells in a reproducible, reliable way? That is important for consistency, for better patient outcomes, and then for scale ultimately, because we would want these advanced therapies to be accessible to patients across all dem demographics, all backgrounds, all parts of the world. But right now they're quite expensive, you know, like the CAR-T's Therapies are priced on the order of half a million dollars. Gene therapies are in the order of $2 million sometimes, depending on the disease area. So we have a lot of work to do. And the opportunity that got me really excited was to understand how taking a new and different approach to manufacturing could really solve some of the biggest bottlenecks. And what was interesting about our journey, even with the company, is realizing how us bringing a perspective from different disciplines was super powerful because there were so many groups thinking about solving the problem from a biology standpoint, from a chemistry standpoint. And where Salino comes in, we are solving it from a physics standpoint and a machine learning standpoint. And then when you merge all of these disciplines together, you come up with an unexpected solution that happens to really work <laughs> and create a paradigm shift and create massive orders of magnitude change in how the process is done or the, the cost of manufacturing, I think there are many knobs we can play with. So that's been fascinating to me and highly rewarding journey to be a part of this industry, be a part of the regenerative medicine industry, but we are a deep tech company. I mean, what we do best is we do hardware and software, but those are going to be essential to automating a very complex manual process that right now is usually involves a highly trained scientist making decisions in their brilliant minds, using their hands to scrape cells away or turn knobs on bioreactors. And they're, it's incredible that humans can do these things. <laughs> but how do you scale that for hundreds of patients, thousands of patients, tens of thousands of patients, millions? You know, when you look at the diabetes space, there's hundreds of millions of patients worldwide. So I was very excited about the idea of, okay, how are we going to automate these complex, human processes with brand new technologies. And we're borrowing very heavily from the semiconductor industry, from the optics industry, from the automation industry, 
self-driving cars. Yeah, it's been a really fun experience. Awesome. And and so where where are you now from a development perspective and what you're pursuing in, in the lab? Yep, we are working hard. My gosh, yes. Yeah. So that's one thing I learned about entrepreneurship. Every stage is hard. <laughs> There's things that have to be done in the earliest stages. And then now it's all about getting things to be highly reproducible, scalable, very automated, thinking forward to getting our technology to patients and clinical production. It's all very exciting. So where we are right now is the Salino team has worked tirelessly to automate the process on our first iteration of the platform to generate patient-specific stem cells. So we start with blood cells and then we turn them into induced pluripotent stem cells. And induced pluripotent stem cells are very powerful. They can be turned into any final cell therapy product with a series of small molecule cues. That first really essential piece of the process of generating high quality stem cells has been completely manual for the past 10, 20 years. And we have developed an automated version of the process. Now we're iterating, we're improving. So it's been very exciting to see the company come together across physics, machine learning, automation, stem cell biology. Uh, and everybody speaks a different technical language at the company, mm. but we're all on this mission together. So it's been awesome to see us bring that technical milestone to a close as, as we end the year. Yeah, that's great. And on the topic of entrepreneurship, how has your role changed from you know when you were five people to now 40 people? And what were some of the perhaps tactics uh, that you use to you know level up on this journey? I feel like I do a different job every six months, Rahul. Yeah. I don't know if you feel that way, but that's my feeling. <laughs> and uh, I would say in the early days, I was doing our accounting, our payroll, our finances, and of course, yeah. fundraising, partnerships, everything, hiring. And now uh, I continue to be on this journey of building my team with brilliant humans who I really trust. So it's really a, the priority is to delegate really delegate. And when you have amazing, I have, have six drug reports and I, my goal is to delegate up to 90% of things on my plate so that I can focus on strategy, planning for the future, uh, building the connections that we need to succeed and then on the new projects that we're embarking on. But uh, it's, it's a different mindset. And uh, I definitely worked extensively with my executive coach to get ready for that mindset. Even actually when I, the day I signed the term sheet for the Series A, went to meet with one of my favorite CEO mentors in Kendall Square. I sat down, I was like, I just signed a term sheet for $80 million and I need you to tell me what I should be doing now, <laughs> between now and closing to psychologically get ready because we're not gonna be scrappy anymore. He gave me amazing advice. As always, he said, Nabia, be calm. You have to spend the money to build value. That is your job as CEO. You need to return the investment to your investments. That's what you're going to do. And you can always raise more. And this is how you should think about coaching your team through this so that you don't get stuck in this scrappy land and mode forever. The reason we attracted this much capital, you know, we weren't planning to raise this large of a round, but it just happened because it was a big manufacturing crunch in the cell therapy industry. And our approach really resonated with so many folks across biotech, pharma, and then of course the investor base. So I've been on that mission and now I'm encouraging my team to also embrace that for themselves because now their teams are growing. It's like, okay, 
could delegate. How do we do this? What, what do you have to do? What can you delegate to this person? And it's great. It's great. I love it because everybody is fantastic at what they do. And so many times they do a much better job than I could have done yeah. <laughs> on that yeah. task. Yeah, that, that's great. And I'm curious from the time that you started Salino to now, have you observed any changes in the biotech ecosystem? And, and if so, what are some of those trends that you've, that you've seen? Yeah, so many exciting trends. I felt when I started, there wasn't as much emphasis or interest in convergent technology-based companies like Selena. It was, it was new. We were new and emerging. People were curious, but it wasn't the norm. And now I look around and there's so many companies doing and building all sorts of amazing technologies across hardware, software, machine learning, and synthetic biology. And I love it because it just creates momentum. It drives innovation in a new way. It allows the biotech industry to open up to a new generation of voices and leaders who may see the world differently, but sometimes seeing the world differently is very exciting because you'll run into very unexpected ideas and innovations that completely change how we live. I'm loving this phase of growth and Boston is such a great place for it just because we're all in such close proximity and there are many amazing universities in the area to continue to feed and build on that momentum. Great. And Nabiha, I'm, I'm curious, during the pandemic, with a team that was forming, did you did you raise the Series A during the pandemic? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I raised yeah. actually most of my capital during the pandemic <laughs> as a company. Yeah, very yeah. interesting. And, and so from a, from a company creation and, and setting the tone from a cultural perspective, what are some of the silver linings you observed through the pandemic in terms of you know, how you operate? It was an intense time, Rahul. I, yeah. I feel that as soon as the pandemic started, we didn't know what was going to happen next. I think we were all shell-shocked that the world changed so dramatically overnight. I had my own fundraising plans that completely were thrown out the window, and it was stillness and silence. I remember that phase. It was stillness and silence across the investor base. Everybody was just processing what was happening. You know, Everybody went home. And so we have a, a lab, people go to the lab every day and had two managers who had young children and couldn't manage their team. So like, okay, we're going to collapse everybody and I'm going to manage all 12 people at the company because that's what I need to do right now. So it was a very existential moment for us. And then it was interesting to start seeing this upward trend in the market, just folks being really interested in biotech folks being extremely interested in automation. And one of the attractive parts of Selino that we built for our own interest was we had built a cloud-based technology. So all of our hardware was controllable in the cloud. So the team didn't have to go in physically to run it. Just biologists would go in, take turns, put cells into the system, and then you know, we could just run it from home. That was a huge selling point in that very moment in the middle as the pandemic started because investors started to realize a lot of the classic biotechs that are more are heavier on the bench work, where there's a lot of people going to the lab, they couldn't work and we could still work. And that's how that narrative around automation started to really crystallize. Um, and then we started building momentum. And last year was just a financing bonanza year, just spectacular mm -hmm. Disneyland kind of year. <laughs> yeah. I don't know when we'll ever see that. And we were 
riding that perfect wave. I had no idea this that's how it would have played out, but that was my experience. And I'm so immensely grateful to have been there when I needed to be there. And we were raising at that time when yeah. there was tons of capital in the market. And now as uh, you know, we're in the midst of a, a correction in biotech and effectively across almost every sector right now, how is that changing? How are you thinking about the changing dynamic now? And if you're making any uh, any changes in terms of where you spend capital or how you're approaching the next fundraising cycle? Absolutely. It's been a huge topic of conversation within the company all year. I've been making different types of choices. My board has been thinking differently and it's, it's a collective team effort, but it's all about being cost efficient, managing our capital really well, thinking very carefully about hiring plans, extending runway, prioritizing. And historically, when you look at some of the biggest companies, they a lot of them came out and came out and succeeded and were built when the market was really down. Because I and I I feel it because it you're forced to evaluate all the information that you have available to you very carefully and make tough decisions and say yes and no to certain things. I think we would have been doing a lot more things in parallel if the markets had continued to act the way they were that last year. But that's not what we're doing. We're very focused. We're on a target. And we're keeping even closer to our strategic potential partners, really having a, the strongest pulse we've ever had on market demand. Where is everything going? And iterating very quickly to meet those changes as they're happening in real time. So yeah, I, I'm watching a lot of my fellow CEOs, actually across the board, first-time founders or serial CEOs that have done this 10 times, everybody is is in a different and much harder situation this year. And it's it's tough. And it's tough to see companies that are doing exceptionally well. Like they are hitting their milestones. They're in the clinic. They have their technology working, but that's not how the markets are working right now. And they're not able to raise and it. It is, it is heartbreaking to see that. And so I'm just very grateful that that timing just really worked out for us. Yeah. Well, Nabina, before we, we wrap up and given your inspiring journey to, to starting Salino, if I could ask you to reflect one more time and look back and if there's one piece of advice that you wish you could provide your younger self, um, what would that be? Gosh, so much to say. I would say it all relates to the theme of pacing yourself because a lot of us are very ambitious. We want to do big things. We're very driven and we work, 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 work. And I think there are prices to be paid for a certain level of intensity and work that just continues for a mm. decade or longer. Um, it can be health, it can be family, it can be your friends, so many things. And yeah. I, I, I do feel that being intent, like Boston is such an intense place and that's why a lot of big things are always happening here, but there is the price to be paid around health and well-being. So I would say pay attention to that because sometimes things go wrong. You you can't recover your health and that's important. So think about the long game. If you can, it's really hard to do as an entrepreneur because it's a totally different type of profession, but if you can, it would be great. Yeah. And Nabita, just to, just to double click on that, I'm curious, how have you changed your routine as a result of that, that insight? Yes. Yeah, so definitely prioritizing how to fit in workouts, eating healthier, spending time with my family and it's not easy it takes a lot of effort and dedication and also not always being a perfectionist 
I don't think it's necessary going for a 90% excellence. You're almost there. And, you know, that last 10% only, which probably only you will be able to spot that. So modulating where I'm investing my energy. <laughs> yeah. Well, Nabita, thanks so much for, for joining us today. For those of you that haven't heard Nabita's first episode, that was our 100th episode. So you can go check that out as well if you enjoyed this conversation and wishing you and the rest of the Salino team continued success. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, thanks. Thank you for listening to this episode of Biotech 2050. This episode is hosted by me, Rahul Chaturvedi, and Alok Tai. If you enjoyed this episode of Biotech 2050, please subscribe to our podcast and leave us a review. Also follow us on Twitter and Instagram at biotech2050pod. Again, that's biotech2050pod. Until next time.